Um, all the people that we partner with on a regular basis are focused on disciple making, which is not affected by COVID. So uh, if you're making disciples, there's always a way to do it because it's it's relational and you're always can be in relationship with someone. You may not be able to be in large group settings. You may not be able to have your family camps. And I, I couldn't go travel and do my seminars and my trainings and my coaching in person. Had to switch all of that to Zoom, except for in Thailand, I could travel some. But what we, we haven't seen any decrease or any change in the work of the Lord, but we've seen it modify. We've seen people have a new perspective. Money's harder to get. Uh, most of the people in Southeast Asia are struggling very badly financially. Uh, like in Thailand, the economy dropped about, now it's about 12 years of economic growth have been wiped out so far, and it continues to plummet. And so, of course, uh, churches and ministries have less funds to work with, uh, but that doesn't mean that God is restricted in what he's doing. So I'm not going to give a long summary of our ministry, but, I, but feel free to talk to me afterwards. I'm going to give just um, three areas where we pray and we, and we ask God to help us see transformation. And these three areas are we want to see unbelievers or people who don't know Christ at all, which is about 95% of the people in our region. Uh, we want them to come to know who Jesus is. Because unless you know who Jesus is, you can't make a decision whether to follow him or not. Most people from Christianized countries don't know who Jesus is either. But what they, they know of a certain version of Jesus they've heard of. And go ask people in Fort Wayne, who is Jesus? And find out what responses you get. You're going to find out that very few of them actually are accurate. Even more so in Buddhist and Muslim countries, there's some very strong um, opinions. And communist countries also, very strong opinions of who Jesus is. Some people don't know. But others have opinions that are wrong. And so we want to present Jesus through how we live and how we speak and help others learn to do the same. So live like Jesus and share the word of Christ. The second thing is when people come to know who Jesus is and some of them will reject him. That's normal. But some will believe when they believe that is not enough. If you just have people who believe in Christ, you will never have people who represent Christ. You have to have people who live like Christ, who are disciples of Jesus, actually walking with Jesus. So a lot of our work is encouraging people and training people how to walk with Christ. Because a lot of times there's a segmentation of life where we feel like this is my spiritual life and this is the rest of my life. And I come to church and I do certain things for my spiritual life and the rest of my life I kind of live like everybody else. That's not a disciple. And so when people understand what Jesus calls people to, for example, when he says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That discourages some people because they didn't understand what the high bar was. But for those who accept that challenge, life changes and nothing covid sickness, nothing can derail you from walking with Christ if you want to. And so that's the second thing. And the third group that people uh, that we want to see transformation is with pastors and leaders and missionaries uh, that we work with uh, to move away from focusing on being in an occupation of serving the Lord and doing things for the church or for people to being equippers and agents of transformation that model what discipleship looks like so other people can see it and understand so I'm going to just tell you a couple of short stories about that because only in Thailand do I have access to people every day all the time. In the other countries I work in in Southeast Asia, I have to travel. I'm there for a couple of weeks and then I come home. So I have to rely very much on my partners to do most of the ministry in those countries. 
Um, and, but it's been exciting to see. For example, uh, one guy that I work with, his name is Danny, and he is a leader of a denomination in one of the countries I work with. When he first came to one of my trainings, he already was successful as a pastor. In fact, he was called a bishop because he had a lot of churches under him. He's very successful. Uh, but when he heard the call of Jesus that pastors are primarily supposed to enable people and train people to make disciples, not to just build churches and build organizations, he was challenged. And he started by, I, I ask everybody, identify two or three people that you already know, that you are, that already trust you, that don't walk with Christ, that you can start to present Christ to and help them become his disciples. And he started by doing that himself. He's very busy, goes to meetings all the time, has many things to do, but he cut time in his schedule to do that and started to model that for his team. And then he challenged each of them to choose one. Each family choose one family in their community. Adopt that family. Wherever they are, draw them closer to Christ. They may already believe, help them become disciples. Uh, They may already be disciples, help them make disciples. They may be unbelievers, help them know who Jesus is. Wherever they are, lead them closer. And they've seen a, a movement of transformation happen that has not been affected by COVID because everybody can reach one. And so it's been exciting. So I have a lot of stories like that. My job is to come alongside and to help I do work with people in the community I live in, but I also have the privilege of traveling around and helping other people in other communities. And so COVID made it hard because I love to go see them in person. Uh, but thank God for technology. Even in, uh, with, with the way it is, I can communicate to all my key people in one way or another, whether it's a messenger chat, if they don't have good data, or whether it's video calls. So if you have any questions about the details, that hasn't changed. I'm still the regional leader for Southeast Asia, uh, and I'm still doing that from here via video um, during this year that we're in the States. We're in the States for one year right now. That's the plan to help Angie deal with her health issues, to help Emily transition to the States and to also help others in the family who need assistance. And uh, then that was planned actually before Angie got sick, uh, since Emily's our last, that we'd have a little bit more time here to to uh, help others and then we'll see uh, what doors open i hope to be traveling to and from asia this year while i'm here uh, especially in the spring we expect things to open up in the spring as vaccinations finally get around to southeast asia which is the key for them to open the countries when they see people having vaccinations so but you can pray that god continues to work and if you have any questions about our ministry uh, please don't hesitate to ask a lot of people there in Thailand and even here, they talk a lot after COVID about wanting to get back to normal. You guys been hearing that? And so um, sometimes we, we think about, you know, we want to get back to normal uh, because things have changed in our lives. Um, I'm not sure if you really want that, because let me read to you a great description of scripture of what normal is. This is from Job chapter 14, verses 1 to 2. Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. That is normal. I don't want that. I don't want that to define my life. That is normal. It doesn't matter if COVID's happening or not. That is what your life is like. And you may feel as a young person today, oh, I'm invincible. I have all this time and all this energy, but all of us are getting older. And actually, you don't know which of us is going to be the first to wither and to fade away. You don't know. Things happen. And so Job was correct that if you just look around the world, sometimes we get ourselves confused about what the problem is. COVID did not was not a problem. COVID was an expression of the problem. The problem has been the same from the beginning, that the world is full of sin 
and the, and the world is full of, of the results of the curse that came because of sin. But one thing that was great about COVID was that it revealed, made it clear what people were really like. The veneer of what we tried to present ourselves as, especially in the Christian world, came down during COVID and, and people's real focuses and real intentions came forward. If they were anxious or fearful or they were bitter or complaining or whatever it is, COVID was one of those things that was global. It's In my lifetime, it's been the only thing that everybody in the world is dealing with at the same time. The U- Each country has different ways when you're having your big peaks and troughs, but really there's no country that's not affected except some really tiny islands whose economies have crashed, so they're affected too. It's either sickness or the economy or both. And so in some ways we have solidarity, but is it bringing us together? Is it bringing us together or was it bringing more divisions? I am seeing more divisions in every country that I work in and I'm seeing coming back here. It's very evident that there's lots of divisions. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that's encouraging to me, but also challenging that helps us to say we don't have to be bound to that normal that Job described. That does not have to define our lives. Yes, our bodies will fade away. And yes, uh, all the things we do on this earth will bloom and then will wither. But that doesn't have to be the definition of our lives. And so I want to encourage you, just like I encourage people in Southeast Asia with this passage. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. And that's on page 1082 if you're using the Bible in the pew. Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, this is not an isolated passage. If we had time, we could look at what comes before it. I'm just going to summarize it really briefly because you need to know. When he says, imitate me, he's not being arrogant here. He's not saying, I'm just a super gifted guy with all these skills, and I, I think you should do your life like I'm doing my life, and your life will be better. What he said just before this was, I have discovered that everything that I valued in my life, all the things that I thought made me me and made me important and made me valuable, my my heritage, my, my religion, my status, all of those things, I have discovered that they are worthless. And what I have discovered is the only thing that's valuable to me is knowing Christ. That's at the beginning of this chapter. And then he says, as I press on to know Christ, I forget the things that lie behind, not because they were all bad, but because I am focusing on moving forward to the calling that Christ has given me to be with him. It's not to do things for him, but to be with him. And that's what Paul was doing. And that's the aspect of his life he's saying to imitate here. I just want to give that as a preview. And then you can go back and read that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Very powerful. But after he sets it up and says, this is how my life is oriented. Pursuing Christ, knowing Christ, being with Christ, putting all things aside. Then he says, brothers, and these are Christians he's writing to, 
you need to live that way too. And he said, the thing that makes me cry, and I ask you, what makes you cry? I cry when bad things happen to my family. I cry when people I know have died, and that's happened this year. Um, I cry when I'm in hardship, but that's not why he was crying here. I'm sure Paul cried for those things too, but in this case, he says that he cries when he thinks about people walking as enemies of the cross. He said, you have the choice of walking like I do, pursuing Christ, or you are an enemy of the cross. Now, interestingly, I want us to think about what an enemy of the cross is, because many times we have the wrong picture. Maybe you think of an Islamic extremist as an enemy of the cross, and you are correct. They will not accept Jesus as God. And so, therefore, when you present Jesus as God and you say he has authority over you, they are enemies of that message. So that's true. But most enemies of the cross don't look like Islamic extremists. And then you might think here, oh, it's that atheist academic or atheist lawyer that's always suing Christians in court, trying to do this and that. That's an enemy of the cross. The one that's trying to take away our rights as Christians, that's the enemy of the cross. And you are correct. Anyone who rejects the word of God and rejects the authority of Jesus is an enemy of the cross. But most enemies of the cross don't look like that either. And then you might think about a debauched celebrity or a drug addict or someone who's just living life however they want, doing anything to to make their flesh happy. And they're just living in sin. And you can see that. And you'd say that's an enemy of the cross. And you are correct. Because if you don't accept this, if you don't accept the lifestyle of Jesus, that means you're not accepting his authority over your life. And if you don't accept his authority, you're the enemy of the cross. But even that is not what most enemies of the cross look like. Actually, most enemies of the cross look like Pharisees. And they look like us sitting in here today. They're good people. They're people who are trying to do good things. And there's people that are trying to to build up themselves as good religious people. That is a large segment of the enemies of Christ. And that's the ones he's specifically referring to here in this passage because he's he's talking to christians and he's saying don't be like that so so we would hope there weren't too many people in the church in the first three groups that i told you but they're going to be mainly in the last group now what is the characteristics of the enemies of the cross in in this passage okay we'll talk about the end in a second but first it says their god is their belly their god is their appetites you might want to say in other words they live their life according to their own desires Now, that can be expressed in many ways. You can look like a good person, but behind the scenes still be living your life for your own desires, not for the glory of Christ, not for the glory of his kingdom, but to make yourself happy. If you live with the purpose of making yourself happy, you are an enemy of the cross because the cross came to crucify selfishness, crucify self-centered lifestyles that are destructive And bring a new transformed life focused upon Jesus. And so if you hold on to a self-centered life, you are an enemy of the cross. The second one is they glory in their shame. And America is not a shame-based culture, but all of Southeast Asia is a shame culture. Being shamed is the worst thing that can happen to you in a shame culture. When, When your status and your face... Your reputation is lost in society. There's nothing worse than that. That's a primary cause of suicides in Asia. But it also destroys relationships, destroys self-esteem. 
And so when you think about shame, that's something that's avoided. But yet enemies of the cross glory in their shame. And the reason for that is, is they're looking at the wrong place. They're looking for approval among other people and other people approve what is shameful in the earth. They're not looking at the one who really should be deciding if you're shameful or not shameful, which is Christ. And so they glory in what the crowd is doing, what everybody else is doing, instead of measuring what they're doing to the one who really matters, which is Christ. So they don't feel shame that they should feel. Instead, they glory in it and they promote it. Is there promotion of sin in the world today? It's frustrating. You can't turn on the TV or go on the Internet without seeing promotion of sinful, shameful behavior glorified in every culture. And that's part of the enemy of the cross. Now, some people do it openly in an extreme way that you can see, but others hide it behind a veneer of religiosity. And I still do things that aren't right, but I hide it and I try to look like a good person. But inside, I I don't have that sense that I have of humility and of repentance that I have to turn to Christ. But instead, I justify my actions and I say, well, it doesn't matter. Everybody's doing it. And that is a characteristic of enemies of the cross. But here's the one that's the most basic, in my opinion, that the others are built on your mind set on earthly things. And it doesn't specify what kind of earthly things, does it? So if your mind is set upon your career, your mind is set upon your friends, your mind is set upon your reputation, your mind is set upon your convenience, the, how fun your life is, how Whatever it is you're looking for on the earth, if you think you're going to find it here and you're pursuing things here, whether they're good things or bad things, if your mind is set upon them, you're an enemy of the cross because there is no such thing as someone neutral about the cross. If someone has a neutral feeling about the cross, they've never really seen what it is. Jesus came to crucify all of those things. And why? Because all of those things, whether your God is your appetite, you glory and your shame, or you're setting your mind on earthly things, all of those things lead to destruction. And you might think that means hell and you are correct, but that's not all. That destruction starts here. The destruction of your family, destruction of society, destruction of churches, destruction of your own happiness. All of those things start here and culminate in hell. So Jesus came to give us a different way of living. That is the normal. What we what Paul just described, there is the normal, whether COVID's here or not. And that is why we bloom and then we fade, because we're these kind of people. You'll find these people in Buddhist temples, but you'll also find these people, the enemies of the cross, in churches. And so what is the key? What is the in verse twenty when he says, But he's giving the alternative. He goes to a very interesting phrase. That as an American living here, you might not think about how important this is. But when you go overseas, it matters. I have a little blue book. It's called a passport here in America. It's just another form of ID. Nobody cares that I have it. But when I go out of the country, I want to keep that book with me at all times. I don't want to lose it because it carries with it the right to return to this country and the right to be helped by my country if I get into trouble. And the passport proves that I am a citizen of the United States of America. Thai people have Thai passports and Canadian people have Canadian passports and they're all important, uh, but it identifies who you are. Now, Paul had already mentioned that he's a citizen of Rome. 
In fact, this is the book of Philippians. It helped him in Philippi when he was released from prison, when he told people that he was a, a, a citizen of Rome. He had a little booklet made out of wood uh, or metal or whatever it was in his city that proved that he was a true citizen. And it gave him privileges that other Jewish people didn't have. But he didn't care about that citizenship so much anymore. He had focused on this one, citizenship in heaven. So what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? Unlike the United States that can give you a passport and there's documents, how do you, it's a little bit hard to prove that you're a citizen of heaven. How do you prove it? How can I know for sure that you're a citizen of heaven? I can't. I can't know that. But you know who knows? The Lord of heaven. The Lord of heaven, Jesus, knows who's the citizens and who's not. But the evidence of citizenship has to do with how you live your life. Okay? So the question is, what do you look at? We're going to do three questions here. What do you look at? What do you cry about? And what are you waiting for? That's all things that are addressed right here. So he already said, look at people who are pursuing after Christ. Look at Christ and look at those who are living for Christ. Citizens of heaven are following those kind of people. Not getting distracted and following after people going in different directions. Citizens of heaven are not perfect, but they have an alignment towards Christ. They are growing towards Christ. The transformation has begun. If you are not focused on knowing Christ, on loving Christ, on being with Christ, you have to ask yourself, where is my citizenship? But as we grow, we're not perfect. I was a kid. My parents knew I wasn't perfect, but I was always their kid, right? There was an identity that, that, I, that, that didn't change. And as I grew up, I became more like my parents in many ways. I'm unique to them, but I became more like them in many ways. And people can see me talk and do things, and if they know my dad, it's like, ah, I can see where that came from. And then my son, kind of the same. People are noticed, the people that know both of us is like, wow, you guys act a lot of the same. There's a lot of that imitation that happens. And citizens of heaven are people that are focused on Christ. They're looking at Christ. And here on the earth, they're looking for models. They're looking for people who can model what it is like to live for Christ. And they follow that. That's what discipleship is. Sometimes we get really confused about discipleship. We think discipleship is a training program. You never need to have a class to have discipleship. What you, all you need is you go live your life for Christ, like Christ, in your community of relationships. And anyone who's attracted to you, who moves closer to you because of that, they're interested. And then you, you grab their hand and you lead them to Christ. And one day they will grab Christ's hand and doesn't need to grab yours anymore. But in, at the beginning, they'll need to see you because they can't see Christ yet. And they look at you and they see you pursuing Christ and they see you loving Christ. They see the change it's made in your life and they say, I want that too. And that's what discipleship is. It's, it's, it's fueled by their hunger, but by your modeling. Maybe you're not truly a disciple of Christ. You're a Christian, but not a disciple. Find someone who looks like Jesus and spend time with them and learn from them. That's more important than sitting down in a class and learning things from the Bible. You can learn things from the Bible alongside of watching people live it out. And that's very powerful. If you only learn things from the Bible and never see it lived out, it's very hard for you to know what it really looks like. 
So that's what we should look at. The second thing is what we cry about. I already asked that. What do you cry about? Paul cried about people who were enemies of the cross. He wasn't looking to get revenge on them. He wasn't angry at them. He wasn't waiting for God to destroy them. These were people that put him in prison. These were people who beat him. These were people who ridiculed and ostracized him. But yet he cried when he thought about them because he loved them so much. When is the last time that you cried about lost people? Or cried about people who say they know Jesus but don't walk as disciples. So they're losing out on all the benefits of walking with Christ. When is the last time that made you cry? Jesus cried for them. Jesus cried twice in the New Testament and both times it's because of unbelievers. And seeing the impact that the unbelief was going to have on their futures. So I ask you, what do you cry about? Is it about inconveniences that happen to you? Or is it about the fact that you see people around you who do not really know who Jesus is and don't walk with him? And then the third thing is, what are you waiting for? So that's what's beautiful here. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, from it, we await a savior. Are you looking for something to come save you from the problems in your life here? You're wasting your time. In fact, they're just going to compound. The older you get the more problems you're going to have. But the thing is that we have someone who was here and is coming back to here that we're waiting for because when he comes back, he's going to transform the body to be like his. That's exciting. But you know what it doesn't say? That we have to wait for him to come back before we're transformed in our hearts and transformed in our minds and transformed in the way we live. We can already start that path of transformation right now because he's in us. The Holy Spirit is with us. The word of God is here. We have people around us in the church that are the family of God that can help us. And the transformation of our spirit can start right now. Paul himself details that transformation in his life in this book. Started off from being a sinner, an enemy of the gospel to someone who was pursuing Christ with everything. You have a story of transformation, I hope. You should share that story of transformation. But your body and the circumstances of your physical life will not get better here. So let's not put our hope in a vaccine. Let's not put our hope in something coming along to wipe out the virus. Let's not put our hope in the right politician who's going to make this country strong again or make this country the way you want it to be. None of that will help you. It can make things better today. But you know what? Even think about slavery. We don't have slavery in America as legal slavery, but there's more slaves today than there was in the 1800s. By many factors, yes, slavery is not legal anywhere, but there are more slaves because people's hearts are not changed by the legislation. Yes, it's good that we eradicated legalized slavery in America, but we can't eradicate the greed and the, the hate that's in people's hearts that cause people to do the sin that they do and cause us to do the sin that we do. But Jesus can. And he started the process from the inside, but one day it will be fulfilled. If you want to be encouraged, and I'm going to, I'm going to finish with this. Think about your future. If you are with Jesus, what is your future going to look like? I met with somebody the other day, um, leader in the missionary church in another state, and he his wife is also dealing with some major medical Ill issues, undiagnosed and very difficult for, for him. So we were talking about that. And he said, but you know what? In a thousand years, we're not going to be talking about this. See, his mind was focused on heaven. 
his mind, but it's not just the benefits of heaven. Because as I sat there talking to him, and I know him well, and every time I talk to him, I see the passion for Jesus just oozing out of him and how he talks to other people. He's living for Jesus now, but waiting for the salvation from the physical difficulties for later. And that's what a disciple really does. And so I want to encourage you, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how sick you are. It doesn't matter how inexperienced and uneducated you are. And nothing about your past matters. What matters is, like Pastor Ryan said, when you come to Christ, when you come to him, he accepts you as you are, but he never wants to leave you that way. He starts the process of transformation. If you're still alive, if you're breathing, you're here for a purpose. The thing is, Jesus could recall. Have you ever seen recalls where American citizens are told to leave after we just withdrew from Afghanistan? The government told Americans, get out of here. Taliban's taking over. So it was a basically get out. Jesus has the ability to pull all of us out of here right now and take us to heaven. He could come back right now or he could just take us out. But he doesn't because citizens of heaven are living on earth for a reason. And that reason is to display Jesus to those who don't yet know him so that they can become citizens of heaven. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors of Christ, not just citizens, but ambassadors. We are appointed representatives of the kingdom. And so if you breathe, if you have any mental cognition, there's a reason that you're here. And it might just be to pray. But you're here for a reason until Jesus takes you home. And let's not let those moments slip away. Every second that passes by is gone and you can't go back and change what you did. And I know I look back, I just thought I've already lived. I'm going to be 51 in a few days. I've lived about 18,620 days so far. And how many of those did I really focus on my citizenship in heaven and being an ambassador of Christ of those 18,620 days? I don't know. But actually, it's not important to think about that. Let's start with today. So I want to encourage you. Be encouraged by this future hope that we have. That one day Jesus is coming back and the same power that's allowing him to conquer sin, conquer death, and take authority over all that he created will be used for good purpose in you to transform your body to be like his glorious body. And all your tears will be gone. All your sickness will be gone. No more death. No more pain. No more conflict. No more straying children. Uh, no more whatever it is that's hurting your heart. But that day has not yet come. But what we have right now is that we can walk as loyal friends of the cross instead of enemies of the cross. Walking with Jesus and the presence of Christ that we'll enjoy in heaven, we can enjoy right now. He told his disciples, I'm going to go away, but I will be with you always. We don't have to wait for his presence. We wait for the fulfillment of his promise, but his presence is there. And if you have breath and you have any resources of any kind, even one penny, it was given to you for a purpose to use here for his glory because he takes care of us. We don't take care of ourselves. What we have is not to take care of us. What we have is to use to glorify him. The time we have is not to take care of ourselves, but to glorify him. So we live here in the world, but there's two groups. There's the enemies of the cross who are focused on themselves heading to destruction. And there's the people who are citizens of heaven. How do you know if you're a citizen of heaven? The evidence is how you walk. But the power that made you a citizen is Christ himself when he died on the cross. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. 
We're not born into it. He gives it to us and he paid for it and he paid for it for all of us. So let me just read some words. You are created by God, designed for a purpose, specially gifted, uniquely blessed, loved, called and bought by his blood. But that is true of the enemies of the cross, too. That's not what differentiates the citizens and the enemies. That's true for everyone. They just don't know it. But here's what you get if you become a citizen. You become transformed to be like Christ. You become fruitful. You, become, you, have, a, you have a companion that will never leave you. You're hopeful. And you're at peace. That's what citizens of the cross can have that you can't have. God gives his gifts of grace to everyone. But there's a level that you get when you become citizens. So I want to encourage you today. If you are a faithful citizen of heaven, do not be discouraged by what's going on around you because Jesus is still working. He's working in the United States and he's working around the world. His kingdom is growing, not shrinking. And, it, and, and his glory is being displayed all over the world today. Be encouraged by that. And one day he will return and everyone will see it. But if you're not walking as a citizen of Christ, today's a good day to begin. Uh, don't let a re- your religiosity fool you. Look at your real heart and your soul and ask yourself am i walking like jesus and if you have not walked like jesus till today it's okay because you can start right now it's a matter of looking at him and going where he goes and looking at people around you that do the same and go with them so i want to encourage you with that and then close in prayer real quick thank you lord for your word thank you for this passionate presentation by paul differentiating people that walk as enemies of your cross and people that walk in sync with you as citizens of heaven help us to choose wisely and we thank you so much that the power that we need to do that doesn't come from us but comes from you and we thank you for the brothers and sisters we have around us that can be encouragement and can be a strength for us as we walk with you and i pray for that this church will thrive as as a group of citizens of heaven that your light will shine forth from this church um, and in all the communities where the people live that attend this church and that people will see the glory of Jesus and be attracted to that and become in turn citizens of heaven themselves. That's what we want to see in Thailand. That's what we want to see here in Fort Wayne. So we pray that your kingdom comes and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.